0: this morning. Who here has ever set a goal and achieved a goal? Can I see your hands, please? Okay. Has anyone here ever set a goal and failed to achieve a goal? Sorry, I got to untuck my shirt a bit. it's too tight. Um, Who here has, okay, one level deeper. Who here has ever succeeded at loving someone the way they should be loved? We're like, Some of you had to check first like yeah am i good (laughs) we good right okay this is who here has ever failed to love one someone the way they should be loved okay who here has ever failed to love god the way god should be loved okay every one of us who are playing along and for the rest of us i just assume that you're also playing along and so that's great Well, in the Scriptures, there is a word for this failing or falling short. It is such a small word. It's only three characters, but it packs an incredible punch. And that word is sin. Now, turn the person beside you and say, glad I came to church today. (laughs) Like, last Sunday was joy, same three-letter word, and this week it's sin. Aren't you blessed? Oh, what a Sunday to come. But at the end of the day, it, it... Ultimately, when we talk about sin, what we're really talking about is either a receiving of salvation or a rejection of salvation. What you and I are talking about is do we open up our hearts that we're in need of saving or do we continue on the same path of self-salvation that we are, some of us are currently on? And so here's what the scripture says. It says, for all have sinned. Everybody say all. all. So it's what we all have in common. Every single one of us Have sinned and we have fallen short of the glory of God. And so there's the exact thing. So we've all sinned and we have missed the target. We have missed the goal. So the word sin is hatah, which we're going to see in a video in a moment. And the word actually isn't a religious word. It literally, it comes with a lot of religious understanding now. There's a lot of things tied to it. But really, it's the understanding that there is this mark that we went for, but somehow we miss. And so Paul says to the church in Rome that all of us have missed the mark. We have hatad. We have aimed for the glory of God or the holiness of God. In and of ourselves, we miss. Now, some of us like to boast, I didn't miss by much. And you missed by a lot. But how many of you know in hockey, if you hit the post or you hit the boards it doesn't matter it's not a goal so we don't boast in our missing we missed and so as we look at what the the whole heart of the video is can we watch it or did it just go down back there we're good all right let's go most
1: people assume the bible has a lot to say about how messed up humans are and that's true It's also true that the Bible's vocabulary about this topic sounds odd to modern people, using words like sin, iniquity, or transgression. And so the Bible's perspective on the human condition is often ignored or treated as ancient and backwards this is really unfortunate, because through these words, the biblical authors are offering us a deeply profound diagnosis of human nature. Iniquity describes behavior that's crooked, while transgression refers to breaking trust. And sin, this is actually the most common of these bad words in the Bible, so let's focus on it for a few minutes. Sin translates the Hebrew word chata and the Greek word hamartia. The most basic meaning of sin isn't religious at all. Chatah simply means to fail or miss the goal. Like when the Israelite tribe of Benjamin trained a small army of slingshot experts, they could sling a stone at a hair and not chatah—that That is, fail or miss. Or there's a biblical proverb that warns against making hasty decisions because you're likely to chatah your way miss your destination. So in the Bible, sin is a failure to fulfill a goal. But what's the goal? Well, on page one of the Bible, we learn that every human is an image of God, a sacred being who represents the creator and is worthy of respect. And so in this way of seeing the world, sin is a failure to love God and others by not treating them with the honor they deserve. You can see this idea in the famous code of conduct given to the Israelites, the 10 Commandments. Half of them identify ways you can fail at loving God, And the other half name ways you can fail at loving people. And the fact that both kinds of failure are combined shows that failing to honor God is deeply connected to failing to honor people. This is why in the Bible, sin against people is sin against God. Like when Joseph refuses to sleep with the wife of Potiphar, he says, how could I sin against God? In Joseph's mind, failing to honor a human made in God's image is a failure to love God. And so sin is a failure to be truly human. But there's more. A fascinating thing about sin in the Bible is that most of the time that people are failing, they either don't know it, or even worse, they think they're succeeding. Like when Pharaoh wants to build Egypt's economy and protect national security. In his mind, this justifies enslaving the Israelites. He thinks it's good, and he's totally unaware that it's an epic fail. Or when King Saul is chasing David around the wilderness trying to kill him, he thought he was bringing a criminal to justice until he realizes he's the corrupt one. And he says, I have sinned. I am the failure. So sin is about more than just doing bad things. It describes how we easily deceive ourselves and spin illusions to redefine our bad decisions as good ones. So why are humans such bad judges between moral failure and success? Well, the first appearance of the word sin in the Bible offers an insight. There are these two brothers, Cain and Abel. Their parents had just given in to this beastly temptation to redefine good and evil by their own wisdom, and now Cain is faced with a similar choice. He's jealous and angry that God has favored his brother, and so God warns him, if you don't choose what is good, Chata is crouching at the door. It wants you, but you can rule over it. So, in these stories, Sin, or moral failure, is depicted as this wild, hungry animal that wants to consume humans. And we know how that story ends. The Bible is trying to tell us that failed human behavior, our tendency towards self-deception, it runs deep. It's rooted in our desires and selfish urges that compel us to act for our own benefit at the expense of others. And it leads to this chain reaction of relational breakdown. This is why in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul describes hamartia as a power or a force that rules humans. In his words, we are slaves to sin. He even says sin lives in us, so that the things I don't want to do, that's what I do. So with the word sin, the biblical authors are offering a robust description of the human condition. It's a failure to be humans who fully love God and others. It's our inability to judge whether we're succeeding or failing. And it's that deep, selfish impulse that drives much of our behavior. This is not a pretty picture of ourselves, but if we're honest, it's realistic. This is why in the Bible, the story of Jesus is such good news. He's depicted as the creator become a truly human one who did not fail to love God and others. That is, he did not sin. And yet he took responsibility for humanity's history of failure. He lived for others and he died for their sins. And he was raised from the dead to offer them the gift of his life that covers for their failures. Or in the words of the apostles, he committed no sin, yet he carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to our sins and live to do what is right. And that's the story behind the biblical word for sin.
0: For all of us here this morning, whether you're live or watching online, every single one of us have sinned. So every single one of us, that if the target again is God's holiness, it's his glory, it's his perfection, then every single one of us have fallen short. It doesn't matter how much we boast and how short we fell, we've all missed it. Quick review, what we just watched, sin then is then that word, this word that says that we've failed to hit the goal. We've failed to hit God's standard of perfection. Iniquity then is when we fail, we as humans have this tremendous ability for self-justification. All of us have it. And so iniquity is another word that we look at in terms of sin, but it means simply that our behavior becomes crooked. So we think we're seeing straight, but we're not seeing straight. Has anyone here ever looked back and said, now what I know there, I would have done that differently? But in the moment, it's all you could see. And so, iniquity, that's the word there. And then the other word is transgression, which we saw, which transgression is breaking trust. It's when you and I not only break trust with one another, but we, we don't trust that God is who he says he is. We don't trust what his word says, that he'll do what his word says that he will do. And in that place, we transgress. And so remember Jesus, we go back to the beginning of the summer. For those of you who are just joining us today, I'll catch you right up. It's Mark 12, chapter 30, verses 31. We've all sinned, all fallen short, none of us hit the target. And then when Jesus sums up the entire law, all of the Old Testament, everything that he was talking about, he uses the Shema. And he goes back to Mark 12, 30, 31. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Everyone say all. all. With all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. All, 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 not half, not three quarters, not just, you know, a measured amount. We're called to go all in, all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and then all your strength. And then he immediately ties again, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So if you look back over the course of your last week, a question would be, did you love God with all your heart? Not like half, all your heart. Did you love him with all your soul? Did you love him with all your mind? Now, for me, yes, because that's not much. For others of you, that's a lot. For me, not so much. But how many of you know that when each of us look at our life, turn the person beside you. That was funnier than you just. It was funnier. That was really good. When you and I look at our lives, we look back just at the last week. Can anybody see where they fell fell short? Okay. I didn't even ask you to raise your hand. I just did that. you did. Right? We all feel those things. So just a moment ago, in spite of our noble intentions, we all know what it's like to succeed, but we also know what it's like to fail at setting goals. So we know what it's like to come under, to fall short, or to miss. We all know what it's like to not love someone as they should be loved. Every single one of us knows that. And then ultimately, when we can't love one another, sometimes it shows that we don't trust who God is because we take it into our own hands. So we don't love God the way that God should be loved. So therefore, the question becomes not Are we sinners or do not, not does humanity struggle with sin, but what do we do to get rid of it? That's really the central question. And what the gospel preaches over and over and over and over and over again is the gospel is not that you're a bad person in order to become a good person. You have to do what his word says and you got to start hitting the mark all on your own effort, all on your own strength. That's why when you look at the world, you can sometimes say, why is it that people who don't know Jesus are nicer than people who know Jesus? Why is it sometimes that people who don't know Jesus are more generous and kind than people who know Jesus? Because the gospel isn't that you and I are bad people and then we become good people. No, the gospel is that we're dead people that are born again, that we are in need of saving, that we are in need of grace. And ultimately, it's not just saving grace that you and I need. It is sanctifying grace. It is grace that's a big word that simply says that transforms us every day to look less like our sinful nature and more and more and more and more, inch by inch and yard by yard and mile by mile or kilometer by kilometer, whatever metric ton you want to use, that we look more like Jesus over the course of our lives. That's the heart of the gospel, and the gospel is Your strength, my strength is not enough. We're always going to fall short, but when we stand in the sufficiency of Christ, he alone hit the mark, and in him, he can enable us to hit the mark because we are full of his Holy Spirit. You with me? Okay. There's a pastor in the United States. His name is Mike Todd. He told the story. He has a church in Oklahoma called Transformation Church. He's a preacher, 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 preacher. He tells the story that every single Sunday, every single Sunday when they're leaving church, his daughter says to him, Dad? Well, he's from the South, so he says, Daddy. I just can't say that word. I'm just repressed. So um, <laughs> we're British, okay? Our background's British. Daddy doesn't come up. It's like, Father, or like, it doesn't work that way. Um, anyways, so she says, you know, Daddy, can, can we stop and get a slushy?" That's what he says to his daughter. Her daughter says to him, and then sometimes he doesn't answer her, and says, Daddy, Can we stop and get a slushie? And when her father says, yes, it settles it. His daughter has never one time, he tells the story, his daughter has never one time said this, dad, do we have enough money in the bank to get a slushie? She don't care. (laughs) Dad, does it fit in the budget for you and I to get a slushie? She never asked that question, why? Because that's the father's concern, not the daughter. For you and I, to trust God at his word is not childish, but it is childlike. Some of you have matured out of faith. Because you simply, when you read the word, every experience that may be different to what the word says, that defines your belief system, not what his word says, And so I'm not asking you to be childish and to deny all those experiences. What I'm asking you to do is what we've been doing this entire service is to get to a point where you say, in spite of what I see and what I experience, the cross has the final word. And whether on this side of eternity or that side of eternity, Jesus, you're going to be glorified in and through my life no matter which way. You see the heart of it is that you and I either because we're sinners that we that we need repentance that we need saving that we need the conviction of God on our heart we need to feel guilty for certain things and then when we do it's not about making amends it's not about kind of getting on that horse and doing that, but it is about surrender. It is about saying, God, would you move afresh in my heart to draw me to be who you are? Look, at this is the Bible here I have in my hand, and my father did this a number of years ago, and I want to bring it back, but I want to show you that, see, see, many of us, when we want to tell people about Jesus, here's how we start, okay? We start with this. Do you know what's wrong with you? We want to start that they're a sinner, But that's not where the story starts. Have you noticed most people don't respond well to, do you know what's wrong with you? (laughs) Why wasn't their heart open to that? It doesn't work that way. Because that's not how the story starts. No, the story starts right here, that you and I were created in the image and likeness of God. That's how it starts. That you and I are created in the image and likeness of God. But along the way, humanity rejects God. They fall short by trying to be like God without God. Kind of like we're doing in 2019 still, over and over and over and over again. And so the beginning of the Bible doesn't start with brokenness. It starts with beauty. It starts with perfection. It starts with relationship. It starts absolutely spectacular. You see, and if we fail to understand that, then the whole thing we understand about religion is trying to not make us bad people. But that's not the gospel. The gospel, again, hopefully that you grow and stop doing bad stuff, but no, no, no. The gospel is actually trying to restore you to what God already intended, originally intended. It's not just what are you saved from, it's what are you saved to. And you and I are saved to something different. We are saved from sin, but to something original to the heart of his intentions. You know, this is great. So this right here was perfection. This is God working in the mess of humanity. This is perfection. This is the person sitting beside you. (laughs) Not you. You're this, I know. But them? This right here is every parent who has never had a child telling every other parent who has had kids how to do it. This is every other parent. This is every couple's dream about marriage. And this is them one week after marriage. You say, not one week. No, no, okay. That's all, that's all right. This is two days after marriage. This... this is the best church that I've ever been to. One month later, those idiots at their other church, they're here too. Boy, that is the best leader that I've known I've ever seen. What a jerk. For some of you, liberal, conservative. For others of you, For others of you, liberal, <laughs> conservative. The opinions expressed in the preceding men are those that participate and do not necessarily reflect those of Life Center. In other words, for you and I, it's always easier to see the brokenness in others than it is to see the story in ourselves. But again, aren't you glad that God works in the mess of all of our lives, of all of our leadership, of all of our churches? And so the scripture says, for you and for I, and why does this matter? It says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the, the lost, not the bad. See, our lostness, we have to ask the question, like, so when you talk to someone and say, do you know you're lost? And they go, like, well, I'm not lost. No, what you're saying to them is, do you know what was lost? You've lost, we've humanity in and of our own self are losing relationship with God the space of redemption, the space of reconciliation, the space of everything he does. So again, if you start the story of brokenness, at best you're giving them a half story, but we want to start the whole story. That's what God is trying to restore in our hearts and in our lives. No question there is good and bad again, but the story of the Bible is not our badness. It is as as a result of sin, there is something that we lose. There is something that is lost from our lives. So when you look through the scriptures, all of us admit that we fall short. All of us admit that we don't love God the way that he should be loved and as a result of that we don't love one another the way that we should be do- should be loved this isn't like a some of us this is like an all of us condition that we have and again i am thankful that where sin abounds grace abounds all the more and everybody said Amen. however there is this word that we need to talk about over and over again in the church which is repentance Grace does not just give you the license to do whatever you want and God has to forgive because it's who he is. That's not a heart of repentance. That's actually a confession of lostness, of brokenness. But this place of repentance is, God, because you are so worthy, because you are so good, because you love me when I don't feel like I deserve it at all. God, in this space, would you rescue? Would you restore? I turn from my sin and I turn to you, not... The gospel is not I turn from my sin and then I make amends. No, the gospel is I turn from my sins and I surrender to my need of you and then in you I am saved, I am forgiven. And from that place, God, you teach me to take step of obedience and step of obedience and step of surrender and step of trust so that we don't transgress. We learn not to transgress God but to trust God. So sin in our lives can be either individualistic or it can become systemic. You know, for example, if you were growing up and you stole a candy bar from a store, you stole it, turn the person beside you and say, I didn't, you did. But you stole a candy bar from the store, and let's say no one knew, but you had a guilty conscience, and so you confessed, I stole a candy bar from the store. At that moment, maybe your parents or grandparent, whoever, your guardian brought you back to the store, and you had to pay for it or, you know, make amends in that moment. So you, you sinned not only against God, because, but you sinned against the store owner. But ultimately, if you, if you extrapolate it back, we, we sin against God because we don't trust that he's provider. So we don't trust that he's provider. So we take instead of letting him give and provide. And so it's this interlinked, interwoven thing. And let's just say that little boy or that little girl's heart remains unchecked you can see that theft can actually grow larger and larger and larger larger and we can actually delude ourselves what we have seen in our lifetime executives take the entire pension fund of companies of people who work at the company which is theft it's the same theft but it becomes systemic which is rooted in entitlement that i deserve they don't deserve because i am better than so sin is not only individualistic it's also systemic it can get rooted in a company it can get rooted in a culture it can get rooted in a family it can get rooted in a neighborhood so again it's not only this individual thing but it's this thing that breaks down. And so every single one of us, every single one of us, here's a great quote that I read. I don't know who said it, but i was going to read the quote. One of the things that didn't change in humanity as a result of sin is that we are all culture creators. So sin doesn't stop us from creating culture. What it does is often puts us at odd with others who are creating a different culture in the world. Here's the quote. Because of sin, sinful people now produce culture. Everyone say culture. This, in fact, constitutes the great conflict in our world. Two kinds of people with two very different spiritual natures and fundamentally conflicting conflicting convictions both shaping the world intentionally or not. That We have this conflict. So again, it means that sin isn't only individual in nature, that it can become systemic or broaden without. And what did Jesus say? Here's what Jesus said. He said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, everyone say from within. From within, out of the heart of a man, out of the heart of humanity, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. Now, if you were in your seats making a list going, nope, good there, nope, good there, nope, good there, nope, good there, you're missing the point. (laughs) And at best, you're going to be as self-righteous, which means you're going to hit the post, but you're still missing, okay? It's not what the Scripture's saying. It says all these evil things, all these evil things, they come from within and they defile a person. They are what we need to be forgiven of. We need need to be cleansed from our lives. That we need to be rescued and redeemed and renewed. So again, the question is, well, how? And the only answer that we see is Christ alone becomes our cornerstone. Because Jesus alone was without sin, as we saw in the video, that he who knew no sin became sin so that you and I might receive the righteousness of God. Jesus showed us how to love God and honor God. And when we do, we love and we honor people. He showed us what it looks like for God in the flesh to be walking and to be honoring one another. Jesus alone changes our destiny and destination from lost to found. Jesus alone changes our lives from darkness to light. Not from good to bad, from dead to dead. To born again, to lost, to found. Jesus alone restores and is in the business of restoring and continually restoring what was lost in the beginning as he works in the mess of all of our lives. First Peter 2, 22 to 25 says, He committed no sin, Neither was deceit found in his mouth. This is about Jesus. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. As we always joke about at Life Center, some of us can't even handle getting cut off in traffic. Don't point people. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself. What what did he do? Entrusted himself. See, we transgressed. He entrusts himself to him who judges justly. He He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed often we quote this only in physical healing and yes it includes that Isaiah 53 however what this scripture particularly is talking to is not only physical healing but the healing of our condition that is sinful to righteous by what Jesus alone has done for you were straying like sheep but have now returned to the capital S shepherd and overseer of your soul. And there's a picture that Jesus gives us in the Scriptures. He says that as his church, we're his bride. Men? Oh, yeah. And he says, one day, we're going to be without spot and wrinkle. Today, we got lots of spots and wrinkles. But aren't you glad that we have a God who works in the mess of humanity? so